Welcome back, Ford Explorers. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to remind you that we have a Twitter, we have an Instagram, and we have a Patreon if you want to support us and get a subliminal shout-out. We also have a TikTok now. We also have a TikTok now. And most importantly, we have our hotline. Typically, Mm -hmm. we tell you a story, but we want you to tell us a story. So call us or text us at the hotline, tell us your story, and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back, Ford Explorers, to the Cat Spirit Hour. I, of course, am the Colonel. This is my son, Caleb, unless this is your first time joining us, in which case, once again, I am the Colonel, and this is my son, Caleb. This is the Cat Spirit Hour, where we like to take a stab at any of the weird stuff in the world, whether it be a, a murder, a mystery, or anywhere in between. No, we like thefts, we like aliens, we like Sasquatches, we like pretty much anything that you would be up late at night, probably stoned thinking about too much. That's us. We save you the YouTube rabbit hole. Yeah, 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 just listen to the show, we'll save you the trouble. Well, uh, today's episode is a... It's it's a fun one. It's definitely one that hits close to home. It's also the very first episode we've done on request. Yes. Like this was a request that was left to us on one of our comments. It's a fan request. Yeah, on a previous episode on YouTube. So if you would like to see us cover something, feel free to leave a comment. We are very game to do it. Today's subject is something that's very near and dear to me because I've been a wrestling fan my whole life. I also am from the area that Benoit started in. You know, I'm from uh, Montana and I grew up with Stampede Wrestling. So we're going to get into Chris Benoit and we're going to talk about what happened and how he didn't kill himself uh, here in a little minute. But before we get into that, as always, for those who don't know, we like to start our podcast with a little report about the ghosts that we deal with every day. Like I said, this is sort of a mystery paranormal podcast, and uh, I happen to own a little haunted bar that's in a very haunted old building uh, on a very haunted street in a very haunted town. And yes. Caleb happens to work there five nights a week, uh, and that means that every week we get a really juicy ghost report. Caleb, hit him with the ghost report. So this week's ghost report, there wasn't too many spectacular things that happened. The lights changed, of course, as always. Yeah. Uh, we had a guest point to the back um, with no one back there. I didn't overhear their conversation. They were sitting in a booth, but I saw them just keep pointing into the back. <laughs> and the like one adamantly, like, <laughs> uh, but the thing that really got me is I was doing my closing duties uh, Friday night, and I leave a little bit earlier than the closers do on Friday nights because we stay open a little later. So I was getting everything done, and I had just restocked the bathrooms. So I was just in the bathrooms. I knew that no one was in there, and I went behind the bar to grab a trash bag to take the trash out, and I saw someone peer out from around the bathroom. But the motion light wasn't on. Interesting. So, like, it wasn't an actual person because I was just in there. I turned the motion light off once I got out, and if another person were to walk in there, the motion light would turn back on. But the light wasn't on, but there was someone peering around the corner. Well, to uh, those of you at home who maybe haven't heard the ghost report every week, those bathrooms, I think, are getting to the point that they're the most haunted bathrooms in America. Uh, yeah. That's... There's, like, stuff that happens every night, and it's in those bathrooms or around those bathrooms. You know, there's, I mean, even the other day, we talked about it, uh, but I saw the ghost. Yes. And where did I see her? Bathroom. Right in front of the bathrooms. Right in front of the yeah. bathrooms. I did see the ghost cat up here the other day. Oh, nice. Yeah, we, we don't know, but it feels like we got a ghost cat around here. I feel like I've seen it. You feel like you've seen yeah. it. Yeah. I saw its little tail, and I definitely thought it. I have an actual cat named Onion, and I thought it was Onion, and it was not. Uh, it was the ghost cat, which, you know, I like that idea. I wonder 
A, if we have a ghost cat, and B, if we do, can Onion see him? I would assume that I, he can see him. I think so. And you think he likes him? Do you think they got, like, uh, we've talked about this ghost stuff a lot. We talked about it in one of our ghost podcasts, like, what happens when two, like, when a Yankee ghost meets a Confederate ghost, you know, after the battlefield, how do they interact with one another? How do cats interact with ghost cats? Do you think they're cool about it? Maybe. Maybe they're still territorial. I'm still a firm believer that cats are the aliens that came to Earth to, to domesticate humans and have a beautiful life. Because they do. They yeah. they have the comfiest lives in the whole world. Humans, the most capable animals on this planet, do everything for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they've got it all figured out. They barely have to communicate with us. They never learned our language. I mean, cats only speak to us, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway, that's a good-ass ghost report. It's been kind of a docile week. You know, last week, because we had the Derby and stuff, it was such a big happening week that I think maybe all the energy, uh, I'm sure, by all means, leave us. Uh, I'm not quite a ghost or energy expert. Feel free to leave that in the comments. But uh, it feels like maybe this week was a little calm. So it wasn't quite so rowdy. Yeah, just the energy in town in general this week was a lot calmer. So. Well, yeah, because all the tourists are gone. Yeah. Yeah, the tourists. I mean, the Derby tourists more than anybody else. If any of you are hospitality people and you have to deal with tourists, you know how it is. But uh, the Derby tourists are special because in a lot of cases, it is like one of the biggest events of people who never go out to bars. That, you, they never go out to eat. They never go out to bars. This is the only time they do all year, and they are just on their worst behavior. And it's, it's a whole... It's a whole festival just of how much money can you spend. Yeah, and it's it, a horse race yeah, where you a, bet money. There's a section of the horse race where you can watch from it called Millionaire's Row where you, they don't even let you up there unless you have a certain amount of money. Yeah, the flex about the Derby, here's what we'll, we'll end here because we do got to get into our main story, but the flex about the Derby I think that is the most transparent about how silly it is is Thunder Over Louisville. Those who don't know, that starts the Derby season a month early. And it's the world, or I don't maybe I don't think it's the world's, but it's the nation's largest continuous fireworks display. It's kind of like being in <laughs> Kabul for an evening again. Uh, but it um, it's pretty much nonstop. And the very first year they did it, they did it at three in the afternoon. And they did it just to show off. So yeah. that should give you a very good idea of like what, you know, the race is really about and who yeah. it serves. It's definitely not us here in town. They don't they don't care about us. But anyway, we're away from that. Uh, speaking of traveling jobs or traveling people that don't get taken care of or don't yes. get respected very much, we're going to dip our toes into pretty spicy territory today. We're going to talk about uh, a beloved man and also um, probably a, I think, a beloved professional and maybe a less beloved man. And uh, that's Chris Benoit. Chris mm -hmm. Benoit. Is a, uh, you know, when I was a kid, Chris Benoit, for those who don't know, was a professional wrestler who um, allegedly killed himself, his wife, and his seven year old child in June of 20 or 27, 2007. 2007, yeah. yeah. It's hard to, we're so into the 20s 2020, now. You're like, yeah. 2007, how am I supposed to say that? Uh, 2007, yeah. Um, and, you know, he was on the top of his game at that point. The He was an intense guy. I grew up loving Chris Benoit. I, if you've listened to the podcast before, or even if you just look at me, you probably have a good idea that I enjoy wrestling quite a lot. And uh, we've covered wrestling on the show before. Mm -hmm. We talked about Bruiser Brody's story where he uh, was killed by Invader X. If you haven't heard that story, it's definitely worth, worth listening to, especially if you're sort of a Vince McMahon conspiracy theorist. And we'll get into some of his shit, too. You know, we've talked about doing Ultimate Warrior, talking about that situation, because I was at WrestleMania 30, which means I was at the WrestleMania. Uh, or the Raw after WrestleMania 30, and I watched Ultimate Warrior eulogize himself to all of us and then die like three hours later, Yeah, which was crazy. Uh, but today we're going to talk about Benoit, and we're going to talk about, we feel it should probably be important, we're not entirely biased, but it should be made clear what our stance is going into this. Yes. And our stance is similar to that of pretty much every wrestler who knew him, which is we don't think he did it. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what happened. Obviously, nobody knows what happened. There's going to be a lot of speculation in today's show. 
a, a lot because there's a lot to talk about what could have happened it, the, over those three days in June in 2007 in Georgia. But I don't I'm not a firm believer based on what I'm told. I don't know. Uh, Benoit. My father was lucky enough to interview him. My dad was on the radio in Great Falls, Montana in the Stampede days, and he has all these, like, reel-to-reels with Brett and Owen and Benoit and all these guys. A fucking uh, million-dollar man. Why can't I think of his name? Ted DiBiase still owes my dad 20 bucks for a bar tab. You know? <laughs> so there's, like, the guys used to come through town a, a lot, and we'd go, and we'd see him at the gyms, and we'd go see him in small arenas, and then eventually, you know, it became a big deal. Yeah. So it, there's definitely an element of hometown heroism for me involved in this story, but I don't believe... We'll get into all of the evidence. There's a tremendous amount of evidence that speaks to the fact that Chris very likely didn't do this. Yes. Um, and we'll get into all of that. So I only ask that, know that we do approach this with respect. Mm-hmm. We do approach this uh, with an understanding of the severity of the issues, but also understand the other way coming. We have a firm belief in this. And I know that that might make some people uncomfortable. And I do ask that you don't turn off the podcast if you think that uh, it's uncomfortable that we don't think that Chris did it. Maybe just entertain us. Yes. You know, listen to what we might have to say. We might have something to, to tell you that might change your mind. But before we get into the, the murder and the subsequent theories about what might have happened, we're going to do what we always do here on the show. And we like to show the humanity of the people we talk about in these situations. So we're going to talk about who Chris was uh, before 2007. So uh, Chris Benoit was born Christopher Michael Benoit. He was born in Montreal, uh, Quebec, to the son of Michael and Margaret Benoit. And he grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, which is where he was billed for most of his shows. Yeah, and when we're talking about Stampede Wrestling, the thing to know that you know, Calgary, Alberta's only really got two big cities. I mean, three, Lethbridge is kind of, but that's because it's a border town. I'm saying a bunch of stuff that only Canadians and people from Montana know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Calgary is where the Calgary Stampede is. That's sort of like the main mm-hmm. commerce city. And uh, uh, Edmonton is like, that's where the, there's a huge mall there. There's mm-hmm. like a mall of the world there. Yeah. It's like bigger than the Mall of America. But that's pretty much all it has. Yeah. In wrestling. Yeah, lots of Stampede, because Stampede was out of Calgary, so they ran Edmonton, you know, every weekend. So, during his childhood and early adolescence in Edmonton, uh, Benoit idolized Dynamite Kid and Bret Hart. Understandably. um, Going to see them all the time, seeing them on TV, and at 12 years old, he attended a local wrestling event where they performed, and he said that they just stood out above everyone else. An important thing to know about that, too, is when we're talking about wrestling, especially the wrestling, nowadays things are cooler because we have so many different options. Long live GCW. AEW is pretty cool. There's a lot of really cool stuff out there where smaller wrestlers have the opportunity, but this is a time when wrestling was about being a big, showy athlete, Mm. and both of those guys, both Dynamite and Brett, were smaller guys, but they were, and when we say smaller guys, guys, we're talking about 5'10 to you know, 6 foot tall here. We're not talking about short kings yeah we're not talking about daniel bryan you know yeah. these are but th- these would be people that go on to show and for those of you listening to the show that maybe aren't familiar with wrestling an important thing to know about both dynamite kid and bret hart is that they were smaller but they were also incredibly technical wrestlers so when you're watching wrestling sometimes there's a lot of large fanfare like the rock is not a technical wrestler he does a lot of big flashy kind of difficult to believe moves these guys were the other way around they look a lot more like mma and they hit a lot harder and for those of you again unfamiliar with wrestling that is what's known as strong style typically it's not the only type of stiff wrestling but what is usually called strong style and it's from japan Mm -hmm. um and it's the japanese oh well realistically it's originally from england but they do it in japan and it's a very japanese style of wrestling to get hit harder and it uh, i've watched all of i've been to wrestle kingdom i've been to wrestlemania i've been to all of the the events i've seen wrestling in every part of the world every type of it i love wrestling and man what i can tell you about japanese wrestling is it fucking hurts just listening to it and these guys were like that and brett and dynamite were stiff boys they would fight real hard and 
when you're in a small gym watching that happen, it's very different. It's so different than watching a guy give somebody big chops in an arena. You're watching these two guys. These guys are fucking fighting. Yeah. They might as well just be fighting. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Anyway, continue. So uh, Benoit's father said that he came to him and was like, Dad, I, I want to pursue wrestling. And his dad was like, yeah. I mean, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. So he bought him a weight set and he and he got him training and stuff like that. And Chris ended up training become uh, to become a professional wrestler and got in touch with the Hart family. Yep. And so he starts training at the Hart family dungeon. Which, again, I'm only going to do this. At, you are the facts guy. I just want to fill in a little yeah. color. Oh, you know way more. The Hart family dungeon is one of the cruelest places in wrestling to get trained. So when we're talking again about strong, stiff wrestling... Mm-hmm. <sighs> Stan Hart, the patriarch of the family, you could read Brett's book and there's some wild shit in there, but he, he would torture kids. Yeah. He'd put them in like, he'd put them in submission moves, real ones, and just leave them there and just leave them there. He would, what's known as stretching somebody. So that's a abdominal stretch. You wrap one arm, one arm, and then your leg and your leg and you pull them. And he would do that. He would stretch new kids. So Benoit would go down there as like a young man with a bunch of other young wrestlers and just get the shit kicked out of him. And then he'd get to go wrestle Stampede Wrestling on the weekend. And that was like the reward for putting up with with Stu's shit. But Stu was a brutal man. Yeah. So uh, Stu trained him for a while. And uh, Chris, er, er, yeah, Chris even started emulating both, uh, Dynamite Kid and Bret Hart's moves, cultivating a high-risk style and physical appearance more reminiscent of um, the sharpshooter hold and uh, Bret Hart's moves while still doing all of the really technical stuff Dynamite Kid did. You so he know, was becoming this cool amalgamation of them. Yeah, kind of flashy. Because Bret was very flashy. He rolled around a lot. He was, you know, he wore pink. He was very bright, very vibrant. Um, you know what's funny about the sharpshooter? Fun quick fact for maybe those who don't know. Sting invented the sharpshooter. It's actually called the Scorpion Deathlock. He invented it. Yeah, <laughs> there's a Texas Cloverleaf, which is what it's based on, but that's when you wrap their arms up and pull it higher. It's actually a much cooler looking move. But the sharpshooter, Bret fully admits that he got from Sting, which I think is really hilarious, yeah. So he continues with his wrestling career and ends up going to WWE. And he, while he's in that transitional period, he met a woman by the name of Martina. Yep. And they got married and they had a son, or they had two children, a David and Megan. Yep. Um, this marriage started to fizzle out. Uh, it broke down around 1997. I mean, it's a wrestling marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Martina has gone to say that Chris was... Uh, super nice and a, a loving husband to both her and their kids, but he was gone all the time. It was a st- super stressful yeah, man, it's marriage. A re- it's a wrestling marriage. And she didn't like being in the public eye. Yeah, well, then that's not going to work. So, the more successful he becomes, the less happy she's going to be. So uh, in 1997, they end up getting a divorce, and Benoit starts living with Nancy Sullivan. Nancy Sullivan, at the time, is the wife of the WCW booker and uh, one of Chris's frequent opponents, Kevin Sullivan. And somebody who we are going to talk about a lot today. Kevin, if you're watching this, fuck you, Kevin Sullivan. For everybody you've ever hurt, for everybody you've lied to, for every person you've ever done a bad thing to, fuck you, pal. So, Nancy and Chris uh, live with each other for about eight months, and they finally announce that they are having a son together. So... On February 25th, my birthday, 2000, uh, Chris and Nancy... More importantly, two days before my birthday. uh, Chris and Nancy have their son, Daniel. And uh, as the year goes on, on November 23rd of 2000, they end up getting married. Yeah. So Chris was Nancy's third... While Nancy... Bear in mind... I'm going to explain a little bit of the basic. We'll get into it more when we talk about the theories. But I will say that 
uh, all of this happened while Chris was wrestling in Florida Championship Wrestling mm-hmm. for Kevin Sullivan, who was booking him, and he was living with him. Yes. So we're going to talk a lot. As I made clear, Kevin's going to be a big part of this. It's very important that you understand the context of how close they were, but also how um, kind of, we'll say jealousy-inducing the relationship between Chris and Nancy could have been. Well, with that, in kayfabe, there was the love triangle set up already. Yeah, he booked it. Yeah, he booked them into like a love triangle. Uh, Kevin was, he was sort of notorious, especially with Nancy. That was not the first time he'd done that with Nancy either. Yeah, um, so as time went on, uh, their marriage was pretty good up until about 2003. Uh, Nancy filed for divorce in 2003, and she said that her marriage was irrevocably broken and that she alleged cruel treatment in the marriage, saying that Chris would often come home and, like, get real mad and throw furniture and break furniture, but never physically hurt her yeah, and that it, it was just toxic to be around. She also put up a restraining order against him, but after a couple months, she, she dropped both the divorce and the restraining order. Okay. Um, Benoit also over his career became friends with a fellow wrestler by the name of Eddie Guerrero, a fellow wrestler. This new, for those of you who don't know, Mr. Lie, cheat and steal. Eddie Guerrero is one of the greatest to ever do it. Yes. Yep. Uh, I mean, all these guys were. We're going to talk about, I mean, Benoit, Dean Malenko. I'm going to throw Perry Saturn in there. I don't care about Moppy. He deserves to be in the conversation. <laughs> he does. He's a great man. He deserves to be in the conversation, especially today. Yeah, I mean, these were four of the most talented wrestlers on the planet. These guys could go, man. So Chris met Eddie when they were uh, booked for a match against each other in Japan. And in that match, uh, Chris kicked Guerrero in the head and knocked him out cold. And after the match, he was like, I'm so sorry, man. And they're like, you want to be friends? <laughs> and he's like, I like you. I like how you I like how you work out there. So this started a relationship uh, that lasted all up until 2005 when Eddie Guerrero passed away uh, due yeah. to a heart attack. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Eddie passed away. Um, he, you know, it's shitty. I I grew up around people who do a lot of uh, drugs, I guess. I hesitate to call them that because that's not what a lot of them are. And I think that somebody like Eddie has been characterized posthumously as a drug addict and a steroid abuser and all these things. And I fucking hate that because you can use those things and not be... It, to call somebody that is to listen to like the lame-ass media or listen to like the people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Eddie was an incredible person. He had some problems, but his heart gave up probably because he used a lot of steroids um, and probably because he uh, did a lot of drugs, that, coke and stuff like that, pain pills and shit that wreak havoc on your your vascular system. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't change the fact that he also could have just popped his ticker. You know, yeah. like I just I want to make that clear because we're clearing up a lot of stuff on this podcast today and I don't want people to think of Eddie as some fucking drug addict idiot who got what he had coming to him. Nope. He had cleaned up. He was doing really well for himself. uh, And he just caught the bad end of life, man. Yeah. And you're doing an extremely physical sport like day after day after day after day. I mean, these wrestlers wrestle five, sometimes six times a week. Yeah. That's fucking brutal. It's like being in a car accident every day. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I mean, that just puts wear and tear on your body regardless. Absolutely. I mean, if you took someone that's never, never touched steroids, never touched anything and made them do that grueling of work day after day after day, 
their body's going to be shot. Also, the reason that steroids cause issues in the first place, like if you ever see somebody, you know, pull their bicep or their their quad off the bone or some shit like that, those can only really happen if you do steroids. And the reason that that is is because steroids allow your body to heal faster than it probably should. Mm-hmm. Steroids don't build any muscle. They allow you to tear that muscle and it'll heal faster. Yes. So this idea that like we obviously it's 2022 now. We know a lot more about roid rage. We know more about CTE and we're going to talk all about that here in just a minute. But the idea that it could have been uh, steroid related was just such an easy thing to write somebody off as. Yeah. Yeah. So Guerrero passed in 2005 and yeah. everyone around him. I mean, it was crushing. Yeah. Every, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. It's the saddest fucking thing in the whole world. Everyone knew that Chris took it extremely difficult. Uh, yep. Chris had written diary entries. I mean, if you want to know, you can see the clip from the uh, dedication show. Mm-hmm. But this is a man who, if there's one word that everybody uses to describe Chris Benoit, it's intense. Yes. And he's just fucking bawling his eyes out on TV, just losing it. The mm-hmm. dude was his, not just his best friend, but his closest and the only friend he had like that. Yes. Like his nearest, dearest other half. Yeah. That's hard as fuck, man. And he was like, he was devastated. He was writing journal entries too. Uh, Eddie, like, after his passing, he was... I mean, you can go back and watch the Mania where they both won the belt for the first time. Eddie beats Brock for the, like, the Undisputed Championship, and Chris wins in a match that's now been heavily censored, which we'll get into. A fantastic uh, triple head. And afterwards, they both had the opportunity. After Chris uh, won, it was the main event, and after he won, Eddie got to come back out, and they, like hugged each other with their championship. Like, everybody understood the value of these two men getting to be champion at the same time. Yeah. They were a dyad in wrestling. They were the flip side of one another's coin. So not only did he lose Eddie, but he lost Eddie like a fucking rug rug pull, man. Eddie was still very young, and he lost him. You know, they all just woke up one morning, and Chavo said he's gone. Yeah. You know, so it's like for those who don't know, I'm talking about Chavo Guerrero. He's still around. He helps out a lot. He he trains wrestlers for a lot of shows. Chavo's great. He's Eddie's nephew. Uh, and he was also a really good friend of Chris's as well. And he's going to come up a lot, especially the day. Well, the weekend when everything happened with Chris, Chavo was very heavily involved. Uh, another close friend of Benoit's was uh, Dean Malenko. Yep. Uh, and the trio, him and Guerrero. Uh, were known as the Three Amigos. Oh, yeah, they were. And when you throw Perry Saturn into that bunch, they're the radicals. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they're the Three Amigos. They still, uh, Dominic Mysterio, I think, is doing the Three Amigos now. Um, but Ray did it for a while. And it was one of, so both Chris and Eddie used to do this thing where they would do consistent suplexes back to back. Eddie would do these really sick snap Germans where he flips you over your head and he picks his little feet up and it's a way to pin people. Yeah. But he wouldn't do that. He'd just snap them down and then roll out of it and snap them down and roll out of it. And that's the three amigos. Mm-hmm. And he did that because they all had their own version of it. Uh, Chris would do it. And in the most Chris Benoit way, it's funny when, uh, I'm just, this is definitely a show for wrestling nerds, but when yeah. Brock came back, he had a match with John Cena where he just squashed him and nobody saw it coming because John was untouchable. Mm-hmm. And he did it by suplexing him like 40 fucking, that's all he did. He just did over the head snap suplexes just until he couldn't stand. And that was also Benoit's offense Mm -hmm. and I thought that that was very fascinating when I was watching it with the attitude that WWE has towards Benoit and anything I mean they made they made Daniel Bryan stop doing the flying headbutt which he should have done anyway which we'll get into how dangerous that was they made him change the name of his finisher because he was doing a crippler crossface like dad for those of you who are wrestling fans or maybe have seen Daniel Bryan know that he is the modern version of Chris Benoit that is who Chris was he was incredibly intense and he was there to kick your ass yeah yeah 
Uh, speaking of the Crippler crossfade, that was Benoit's signature hold. Uh, he actually borrowed it from his, in his own words, he said he borrowed it from Malenko, and it just caught on. For those of you who don't know, or those of you that do, there was a fantastic feud in the 90s in WCW between Chris Jericho when he was still pretty young and, like, winning his first titles, and Dean Malenko, who was the holder of the, Euro, I think it was the television title at the time, and they were having a, a feud, and it, the idea was that Dean was the master of a thousand holds. That's yeah. his thing. He knows a thousand fucking holds. Jericho brought out a list and was like, well, I'm the master of a thousand and four holds. And every other one was like arm bar. <laughs> it's a great scam. If you guys haven't seen it, go watch it. It's Jericho at his best for sure. Uh, but Dean, Dean, that's because Dean invented like half of the fucking holds that exist. Yeah. Everybody got their holds from Dean. <laughs> uh, and one last piece of information just about Benoit as a person. He was missing a tooth. It was very famous. Oh, yeah. He was missing his top right lateral incisor. And there was so much, like, legend and lore built around it. It's Chris Benoit. Like, how did the Canadian crippler lose that tooth? Uh, a lot of people misattributed it to training or an incident early in his wrestling career. Uh, funny enough, it's because one day he was playing with his pet Rottweiler, uh, and he was playing tug with it, and the... Rottweiler just bumped him right in the chin, and it knocked his tooth right out. And he was like, fuck it. Yeah. He can stay out. I yeah. don't care. He never put it back in. Um, but, yeah, it's funny because there's all this, like... You expect it to be from, like, a gnarly hardcore match or something that happened in Japan. Dog knocked it out. No, I just bonked my hand on my puppy. <laughs> well, with you know, Benoit did have a... He had a hell of a career, and absolutely, before we get into the, the devastating stuff, I will mm -hmm. say that every single shoot interview, non-shoot interview for... Again, we're going to use a lot of wrestling jargon in this episode today. A shoot interview is when a wrestler no longer participates in kayfabe, which is the suspension of disbelief, and they tell you what really happened. Um, and shoot interviews are where we learn a lot of this information because yes. wrestling is a very tight-lipped business. It's easy to keep things under the rug, which we will talk about. That's kind of when Vince comes up in our theories. It's a lot about how he likes to keep things under the rug, a la Jimmy Snuka, but we'll get into that. Uh, you know, so there's there's like a they'll sit down and they I should have had a yogurt before this. In shoot interviews, they'll sit down and they'll explain what's going on. And in a lot of those, we've learned a lot of really interesting things, but most most of which, you know, they have a tendency to be a little unscrupulous. They'll be like, well, what's your opinion on this controversial thing? And in this case, almost everybody that they ask that was close or far, but it's more important the people who were close to Chris say he didn't do it. Yeah. Nobody thinks he did it. Like, nobody thinks he did it. Everyone, everyone, we watched, what, seven, seven or eight different interviews we'll do in Discovery, and everyone's like, Chris wasn't a mean guy. He wasn't a violent guy. There's no way he could have possibly done this. They just don't, they're like, we don't even still, we still don't even believe it happened. Yeah, he was a, a very, very well-liked, very well-respected, like seen as a always on time, incredible professional, always really nice, always really sweet, always, you know, trying to help people, going out of his way to, he, uh, you know, there's a, uh, there is a great story where Black Bart talks about a match that they had. It was one of Chris's early matches, and the idea was, you know, it was a smoke show. He was supposed to go out there and squash Black Bart and you know, leave and be the coolest guy in town and do this whole thing. And Black Bart was pretty well established. So when he gets to the locker room, they're talking about the match, and instead of going, hey, man, I'm coming in. I'm going to squash you. Thanks for giving me, you know, thanks for giving me the push, all that. He goes, no, that's not what we're going to do. We're gonna have a, I'm going to win, but we're going to do a competitive match, and I'm going to sneak out the win because I shouldn't be able to beat you flat. Yeah. And that's a dude on his way up. Yeah. You know, like he was a guy who was very respectful about his place. I mean, he was held down for a long time for being referred to as a... <sighs> 
this is a slur, so just bear with me. But they're usually called vanilla midgets because they weren't tall enough. They weren't huge fucking Hulk Hogan guys, you know? And the problem with that is that they're sort of forced to work forever with no real... I mean, they'll never get to be the champion, Yeah, you know? So there's this idea, the fact that he was such a nice guy and he was so driven and that he finally made it really did kind of make all this a little more devastating. So... Yes. The devastating thing. Yes. Uh, before I, I talk about, I'm going to tell a timeline and then I'm going to talk about the actual murders. I'll do another um, trigger warning before the actual There murders. should just be one for this whole thing. A, yeah. A child does get smothered to death in this story. Uh, there are multiple murders. If that makes you uncomfortable, queasy, it ignites any trauma, trauma, Jesus, trauma, anything like that. Yeah. Just know that this one might not be for you. Yeah. Uh, give there's you a no second. way to tell this story without talking about this stuff, unfortunately. Yeah. Especially Daniel, his son. There's a lot of elements of a seven-year-old's death that has to do with whether or not uh, the motive lines up with it. We're going to have to talk about it a lot. So if that yep. makes you uncomfortable, we totally understand. We love you, but you might want to sit this one out. Yep. Take this moment to either skip to the riddle if you want to listen to the riddle. Yeah, there will be or, a thing for riddle time if you want to get or, to um, the riddle. It, I like to think we have some like real riddle enthusiasts that are like, well, what the how am I going to get to riddle time? Or if you just want to close out, we fully understand. Yeah, that's but okay. Now I'm going to get into the story. So at about 3.30 p.m. on Saturday, June 23rd in 2007, um, Chavo Guerrero, his fellow wrestler and close friend, yep. received a voicemail message from Benoit stating that both Nancy and Daniel had food poisoning and he'd be late for that night's show in Beaumont, Texas. And Guerrero called him back but didn't answer. And he said that he found Benoit's voice tired and groggy on the message. So he called him back again. Benoit answers and he's like, hey man, what's up? So still sounding very tired and groggy. He's like, yeah, Nancy and Daniel are sick. I don't think I'll be able to make it. Just confirming everything that he said in the message. And he was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Hangs up the phone and is sitting sitting and thinking about it. And he's like, I don't, I don't like the way he sounded. He said, I was concerned about Benoit's tone and demeanor. So he called him back 12 minutes later and Chris didn't answer. So he's sitting there waiting and he's just like, hey, can you please call me back? And about... Ten more minutes later, so at 3.44, Benoit does call him back. He said, sorry, I didn't answer. I was on the phone with Delta. I was changing my flight plan. He's like, you know, I've had a super stressful day. Nancy and Daniel have been sick from food poisoning. They're not doing great at all. I am going to miss the show tonight, but I'll be there 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. So Guerrero was like, all right, man, if you need to talk, I'm here for you. And Benoit ended the conversation by... Just his whole demeanor changed, and he just said, Chavo, I love you, and hung up the phone. And Chavo has said that, like, I should have known then and there. Well, everybody knows up. what that kind of I love you means. Yeah. Yeah, that's not like a, that's a, that's a, I need you to know right now. Yeah, so actually, during a 2014 appearance on Chris Jericho's talk show, Talk is Jericho, um, Guerrero said that Benoit sounded off when he talked to him, especially when he said I love you, and he said it with such emphasis and so another coworker who often traveled with Benoit called him from outside the Houston airport and was like, hey, man, I'm here. Where are you at? Benoit answered and was like, hey, Nancy is vomiting blood and Daniel's vomiting. I can't make it. So same story across the board. He's like, OK. Benoit failed to show up for the house show in Beaumont and left a voicemail to Chavo saying that, hey, I got it all figured out. Nancy and Daniel are doing better. I'll be there at the airport 8 a.m. I look forward to you picking me up. 
doesn't show up. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. So 8 a.m. comes around. And never shows. Never shows up. Which is an incredibly rare thing for Chris Benoit. He yeah. was, I mean. This, to miss one show was rare. To be 30 seconds late was rare. Like Benoit, there's a very famous story of him losing a match and uh, in the locker room punishing himself by doing uh, 100 Hindu squats. The number changes according to who's telling the story, but yeah. a number of Hindu squats, for those of you who don't know, those are easily the most painful form of squats. And he was doing it as a form of punishment for not having put on a match that he thought he should have put on. Yeah. Like even when the Black Bart thing happened, Black Bart came back through the curtain and got an absolute faceful about what he had chosen to do because he was told to do something. And Arn Anderson's going to come up a few times in this. Arn Anderson is what I said. Sorry, I said it kind of weird. Uh, original member of the uh, Four Horsemen. Most people know who Arn is. His brother Oli's a real piece of shit. Well, it turns out Arn might be too. Um, in the past few years, some weird stuff's been going on with Arn's career, and I, I think wrestling fans have been kind of questioning it. But what we learned during Discovery is Arn's got a weird reputation, man. Mm -hmm. And he has a weird reputation as an agent. He got fired from WWE because he let a female wrestler, uh, Alicia Fox, go to the ring drunk. Um, and he just has, you know, some some internal issues, I think. And when Black Bart came through that curtain, he was fucking screaming in Bart's face. He's like, I told you what to do. I told you what kind of match they have. And Chris just scooted Bart. And again, this guy is four inches shorter than Bart. Just scoots him out of the way and goes, what you are is scared. You're scared that I'm going to be good and you're scared that I'm going to do a great job. And like, I think that sort of thing gives you a very good idea of how people approached Benoit. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, continue. Oh, so the next events happen in the night between when Chavo gets off the phone with Chris and 8 a.m. that morning when yeah. he goes to the airport to pick him up. Well, Eddie doesn't show up. But on Sunday, June 24th, Five text messages were sent uh, between 3.51 a.m. and 3.58 a.m. using both Chris and Nancy's cell phones. Yeah. Um, four of them were the Benoit's home address. That It said, this is our address, and it just sent the address. And the fifth one said that the family dogs were in the enclosed pool area, and the garage side door has been left open to let them out. Those texts were sent to Chavo and to referee Scott Armstrong. Um, they were both supposed to be at the match the next day. Chavo woke up to the text, but he was like, I'm going to see Chris in like four hours. So he kind of brushed him off, went back to sleep. Scott didn't really tell anyone about these texts until Monday afternoon. Which is going to come up when we talk about Vince and yes. their involvement. Yeah. So Chris wakes up, or not Chris, Chavo wakes up, goes to the airport, and Chris is nowhere to be found. So that leads some suspicion. He reaches out to some other people within uh, WWE. Late Sunday morning, Benoit calls uh, WWE's talent relations office, and he was like, hey, my son's been vomiting. I'm at the hospital with him and my wife. I, I, I try to figure out what I can do, but there's not much I can do right now. And they're like, okay. He's like, Bear in mind, this was he was supposed to be having a title match yes. for the ECW title against CM Punk, who was the champion at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, on I think it was called Vengeance. I think yes, it was Vengeance. Back when they were still calling it Vengeance. Yeah. So he was like, "Listen, I I know I'm supposed to be there, but I'm not. I I will be taking a later flight. I'll be there. I know I have that fight with CM Punk. It uh, Vengeance Night of Champions is the name of it. And he's like, "I'll be there. I promise." He gets off the phone with the WWE relations. And they're like, okay, well, we know where he is. That's why he didn't show up. He's still at the hospital. He doesn't, he fails to show up entirely. So now everyone's worried. Yeah. He has now not only missed the the night's previous fight, he has missed two Dude, of his airport no show. Dude, he no-called no-showed a uh, championship match 
at a pay-per-view. Yeah. That's the biggest thing you can miss. Exactly. Yeah. So with all these things, everyone's freaking out. Because, again, Benoit, this isn't somebody yeah. who might miss a pay-per-view. This isn't Ric Flair. He's not hungover somewhere. So on Monday, June 25th, WWE wrestlers and senior officials, they show up because they have WWE Raw in Corpus Christi, and it's supposed to take place Monday night. Well, earlier that day, one of the uh, WWE officials calls the Atlanta PD. It was like, hey, I need you guys to do a wellness check. Yeah, the 911 call. Yep. Uh, he's like, one of our wrestlers is notorious for showing up and being up on time. He has missed three pickups. He's missed two fights, including a championship fight. That's not him. I need you guys to go over there. Uh, so the police do end up going over there, and with this, they they find all three. Yeah, they discover the three bodies. Uh, so he, Benoit had uh, allegedly killed himself using a weight machine. Mm-hmm. Um, he had turned the. He had basically added all the weights he needed that he had in his weight room. It was. 240 pounds, I believe. Yeah. He had Googled, somebody had Googled on his computer. Someone had Googled uh, easiest way to like kill yourself. Yeah. So it, it says here that uh, Nancy's sister, uh, Sandra actually went on to talk as Jericho in 2016 and said that over the weekend, the search history on his computer showed he had researched quote, the quickest and easiest way to break a neck. Yeah. Yeah, and that is how he died. He, mm-hmm. he And it's an interesting... I brought this up uh, to you when we were talking about it in Discovery, but Chris had a huge fucking neck. Yes. That's an important thing to remember. Now, 240 pounds is a lot of weight, but Chris weighed almost that, and he landed on his neck on a regular basis and trained his neck to do ex- specifically that. So while I'm not a doctor, I'm not a physician, maybe you know it would be easier to break it laterally or yeah. something. I think there are a lot of red herrings there. Uh also red flags. But yes. I think there's a lot of distractions to what could have happened. I think it looks like a suicide. But it also would have been very difficult to kill you. I, like, I know he could have pulled the pin, and that would have done it. I don't know, man. Anyway, so that, obviously, Daniel was found. Uh, he had uh, lost respiration. And we say that because while there were early reports, I'm sure those of you who are somewhat familiar with this case heard that, you know, Chris put him in the crippler crossface until he died. Mm-hmm. Okay, he was seven years old. That's physically impossible. That yeah. did not happen. That is a lie. Um what was originally said is that the coroner saw that there was bruising that was inconsistent with strangulation around the throat. Yes. But he had suffocated. So they assumed maybe he had um, been suffocated with a pillow or something like that. But there is a there was a very pernicious and incorrect rumor going around that he had put him into the uh, crippler crossface, which yes. is not true. And also, not, I mean, beyond not possible, like, how would anybody know that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another important detail with Daniel is there was Xanax in a system. There was, yeah. Um, and a weird thing is that there was a Bible left by his body that Chris's father later said that he got it with his personal personal items after the investigation was closed. And towards the end of the Bible, there was a handwritten note inside of it from Chris. It was Chris's handwriting that said, I'm prepared to join, what was it? I'm prepared to join the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the religious stuff, it's important to point out that in the 911 call, they said that Chris Benoit was a very religious person, except that he wasn't. Everyone around him says that he wasn't a religious person at all, and the only time he really 
he did quote unquote, you know, kind of find God, but he did through did so through Eddie. Eddie was a Mexican Catholic. Mm-hmm. He was very, very religious. And he is the one who introduced religion as a concept to Chris altogether. Yeah. Chris didn't really participate in it. He wasn't a he wasn't a religious person. He you weren't gonna find the <laughs> the Canadian crippler at Sunday service. Well, man, that'd be really funny, huh? Like, specifically that Sunday service? Uh, anyway, yeah, so, you know, there, it's very odd that there were so many religious artifacts found around there, um, specifically because while he had become a more religious person and through his grief with Eddie, he had definitely seemingly become a little bit more um, reliant on the notion of faith in God. Mm-hmm. There's a person who could be at play here who is very closely tied to God and knows yeah. a lot about that Bible. Oh, uh, and, and Nancy, we forgot to talk about Nancy. Oh, we were just going to get to Nancy. Yeah, so Nancy uh, was killed in their upstairs bedroom uh the police say they found her with her limbs bound and her body was wrapped in a towel and a copy of the bible was also left next to her body uh injuries indicate that the killer had pressed a knee into her back while pulling on a cord around her neck causing strangulation and officials said there were no signs of an immediate struggle uh so they assumed that she was either asleep or just didn't know it was coming toxicologists found alcohol in her body but it was trace amounts, and they were unable to determine whether it had been present before death or it was just an adverse reaction to decomposition. Gotcha. And they said that decomposition had made it difficult to estimate pre-death levels of hydrocodone and uh, al- I can al- never pronounce it right. Alprazol- Alprazolam? Xanax. Yeah, means Xanax. Xanax as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they found in therapeutic therapeutic levels in her system. Okay. So not like overdose or abuse or anything like that. No, just but when you mix benzos with alcohol, mm-hmm. benzos aren't all that dangerous until you mix them with alcohol. When you mix them with alcohol, benzos kill you. Yes. Uh, but medical examiners said that there was not enough as evidence to state that she was sedated at the time of her death. Gotcha. So that, that plays a big difference between her and Daniel. Yeah. And, but it should be made clear that I don't think it's worth saying that the Fayetteville police department did a very good job. Mm-mm. They didn't follow up much. They didn't collect a lot of evidence. They didn't do much. Um, And there's a lot of questions to that. And we're going to get to that here in a moment as we talk about theories. But the idea that they deprioritized effectively solving this crime, there's got to be one thing that comes to mind there because there was another time that happened. Now, we'll get to that in just a second. Here's what we're going to talk about. Chris, dead. Nancy, dead. Daniel, dead. Over the course of three days. Don't really know how. Now we're going to get into how. First things first, uh, did he do it? The first, obviously the first headlines were that he did it. You know, a lot of headlines, obviously it is kind of worth going back. It's If you have a little spare time, it's worth watching the the old headlines on this because there are so many that are just so grossly incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, th- accusations that he shot his wife and all of these things. Obviously none of that happened. Um, their immediate response was roid rage. Yes. You know, that was the first thing that popped. It's important to point out that it wasn't too many years previous to this, that the WWE had gone through a pretty lengthy trial, um, in terms of dealing, basically they got caught knowingly doping all of their entertainers, but, Vince's response was their entertainers, not athletes. They're allowed to do that. And then he had to go to court for that. And subsequently, steroids became a hot-button issue for um, any time a wrestler did anything bad. Yeah. It was steroids. It must have been roid rage. It must have been... Now, roid rage is a real condition that... Well, it's not a real condition, but you do definitely... People who take a lot of anabolic steroids can definitely, especially in 
unison with like testosterone and shit, yeah. that can absolutely cause you to be more aggressive. Now, that being said, it doesn't cause you to go on a three day murder spree where you're also calmly texting all of your coworkers and on the phone with them. Yeah. Like if he was in some unbridled rage where he just murdered his family and then murdered himself, you, you think that moments before he murdered himself, he was like, Hey man, uh, He's like, ah, hey, man, so I'm not going to make it tonight, but I'll definitely see you in the morning. Yeah, he's like standing, screaming and crying, waiting to pull the pin on the weight machine. He's like, oh, fuck, I got to call Chavo. And he like takes it all off and he calls Chavo. Yeah, it, just, it, it slams and he's like, God damn it, I'm going to have to set it back up again. Fuck, I missed it. He catches his foot. <laughs> Whoa. So, hey, Chavo. <laughs> hey, man. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I know I sound a little weird. Uh, I don't want to tell you why. Yeah, what if the, the Chavo's like, man, that was a really weird tone he took on the phone. And just, he was stuck. He was like really embarrassed. His phone his hand was like stuck in a, uh, the sink and he was like, hey Chavo, how you doing man? Yeah, no, uh, no me? Oh no, I'm good. I'm super good. Definitely nothing wrong with me. We like to call it the poison drink paradox. Yeah. So when you hand somebody something, you go, there's definitely nothing wrong with this. Uh, yeah, there's, Roid Rage, we're just gonna go ahead, we're making jokes about it because that's not what happened. No. This was not, Roid Rage, not a real thing. Uh, Road Rage is more dangerous than Roid Rage. I mean, is a real thing. Don't tear me apart in the comments. I know it's a real thing. I'm just saying, I am gonna undermine its severity. I apologize if maybe somebody in your family was killed by somebody on Road Rage. On Road Rage, like it's a drug. Um, it should be a drug in like uh, Fallout, yeah. Jet or Road Rage. It makes it really good at driving. But the thing to show that it wasn't Roid Rage or anything like that is... Again, we watched a ton of interviews with fellow wrestlers, people that were close to Chris, and almost all the time, everyone were like, well, did you see his his emotions change? Did you see his demeanor change over time? Trying to probe this ro roid rage theory out, and people were like, no. no. There's a reason it was a surprise. Yeah. because and, and, you know, like, the divorce thing, people could say, well, what about in 2004 with the divorce? Well, with that divorce... Listen, guys, how many times have you been in a relationship where you guys were totally going to break up or you definitely did break up and then you got back together? Yeah. That shit happens, man. I think I don't think that it's easy. I know that in situations like this, it feels like a domestic incident exclusively. So you really just want to think about, like, what could he like? Why could he want to do mm -hmm. this? Could it be jealousy? Could it be something like that? But I don't think it was Roy Rage. Now, the other uh, big candidate is CTE. Chris Nowinski was a wrestler with the WWE for a very brief amount of time. He was pretty thoroughly abused in the um, FCW, the Florida Championship Wrestling Program. And then he got a couple concussions and had to stop. And in wrestling, you know, concussions are a thing that historically have not been a big deal. Um, is it, I have a lot of fucking complaints with the rock i really don't like the rock but one of the grossest things he ever did is he had a hardcore match um at, i don't remember when it was it was after mania it was in 98 it was with mankind and he handcuffed him and hit him with a chair probably he hit mick 20 fucking times unprotected with that chair and has never apologized for it none of that shit and mick's fucked up and it's that's not the only reason but that sort of stuff really yeah. contributes you don't get to hit somebody in the head with a hammer 20 times and never apologize yeah so cte now Benoit's dad had his brain tested, and he did have the brain of a severely uh, advanced Alzheimer's patient. Yes. He did. He had a really bad brain. Uh, it was really fucked up. He had a ton of legions. He had a lot of... Uh, he had, a, he had um, brain bruises and lesions, and both of those things can lead to um, out, outbursts. and. Yes. CT can cause delirious violent outbursts. This is true. There was, I, it, the name is escaping me right this moment because we've been talking about this for 45 minutes, but there was a football star a number of years ago that got in a pretty violent car, pretty violent car chase. It was a car chase that ended in a like fireball and it was a byproduct of his CTE. Mm -hmm. So that being said, in the event that Chris did do this to his family, CTE is the most logical explanation. 
right? Like in terms yeah. of there being no, uh, there being like no outward cause. Now there being an outward cause, um, those two things. I'm I say no to road rage. The first theory is road rage. I say no to that. What do you think? No, no. CTE. I say CTE is definitely possible. CTE is very much a real thing. It's a thing to be afraid of, um, especially for people who take hits to the head. Yeah, but he also. I mean, if he snapped, he quite literally did it in 24 hours. Yeah. You know, he snapped overnight. Now, we get into the slightly juicier theories. Yeah. The the snapping stuff, there's a wrestler by the name of Axel Rotten. Mm-hmm. Axel is an ECW wrestler, and he's been around for a long time. He's one of the, you know, he's sort of one of the dudes down on the bottom of the card forever. And he has an interesting theory. Um, he believes that Chris did do it, but that it wasn't necessarily CTE or roid rage, but instead that while he was on the road, Nancy accidentally killed Daniel because Daniel has... The bruising on his body was so strange. It was on his arm. It was on his arm, his chest, and his face, but nothing on his neck. And he had suffocated. Mm -hmm. So the idea, the reason that they brought up the crippler crossface is because it does hold your arm and obviously comes across your face. That being said, that move doesn't suffocate people. It's not a choke. It's intended to hurt your fucking neck. Yeah. That's what it's for. Your arm is here, so you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Also, again, to repeat. Not big enough, just a stupid, pernicious yeah, rumor. Yeah, he's a tiny seven-year-old child. This, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have been physically possible. So it's very strange that he died in the manner that he did, that he did suffocate because seemingly he wasn't suffocated. Mm-hmm. So unless he was suffocated by a pillow, there's a decent chance that the Xanax that was in his system could have had an adverse effect on him. Yes. Now, one of... Um, Benoit's good friends, Johnny Grunge, he died because he had sleep apnea and he was taking painkillers and Xanax. And those caused him to sleep so heavily that when he stopped breathing during his sleep apnea, it didn't wake him up. He just died. Mm -hmm. I had a friend when I was 16 who was taking oxycodone and Xanax together. Um, And it caused him and they were prescribed. He took the prescribed amounts and he fell asleep on his floor and suffocated on his carpet. Yeah. You know, like these sort of things, those drugs are really fucking dangerous in kids. I mean, they're pretty dangerous in adults, but you can pop a Zanny and probably, you know, a whole Zan bar and not freak out. Yeah. The average dosage, for those of you who don't know, I would imagine most people, especially our age, know what a dosage for a Zan is. But, you know, a quarter bar is usually about half a milligram of Xanax. Um, If you give a whole bar, I mean... that could easily be an overdose for a child. Yeah. uh, With my theory on this theory is I I feel like Daniel may have been freaking out or having like just a standard kid episode, just freaking out, yelling, screaming Nancy, who clearly already had Xanax already had Xanax in her system. Maybe it took one for herself. was like, Oh, well this calms me down. Gave one to Daniel. Daniel laid down maybe like face first into his pillow. And died that way. Yeah, and I could see the bruising coming from her trying to wake him up. Yeah. Like, if you were slapping his face and grabbing his arm and, like, pushing his chest and trying to wake him Mm -hmm. up, it would make sense that he would have all this bruising. Yeah. Um, So, I honestly, as much as a fucking kook as Axel Rotten is, that's a surprisingly... None of this murder makes any fucking sense. None of it makes sense for Chris to have done. That's the first person who has an explanation that kind of makes sense. Yeah, so uh, to go on with that theory is that Chris came home. uh, Nancy was there. uh, 
told Chris that and that's Daniel what died. To freak out. He freaked out. He killed Nancy. He didn't know what to do with himself afterward and then killed himself. I also think it would explain why Nancy was wrapped up and bound and ready to be buried. Mm-hmm. And Daniel hadn't been. I don't think he knew what to do with Daniel. Yeah. I think his heart was probably so broken that he didn't know what to do. And I also think that um, Daniel died. Did Daniel die? He died first or second? Uh, do we know? They're not entirely sure. They said that his decomposition was a little less than um, Nancy's, but if I mean, that by a couple days. hours. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing that a lot of people think when they hear this story is there's no way that child could have died with that mother alive. Yeah. Like no chance. No chance. Yeah. And the way that Nancy was prepared, the way that he and both of his son weren't, are both very indicative of the fact that something bad might have happened there that Nancy might have been at play for. He had, you know, he did have a temper. And when when she filed for divorce in 2004, 2003? 2003, yeah. Yeah, 2003, it was for throwing shit around. That was regular Matt. He was regular pissed off, and he was breaking stuff. Yeah. If you took away from him the only thing in life he cared about, if you took his child from him... Yeah. One of his children, obviously. Yeah. But the only child those two had together. And I, this is also a very good point. time to point out that David, his surviving son, does believe that his father is... Obviously, you're going to... I mean, he's going to want to think his dad is innocent, but he legitimately does. Like, down to the brass tacks, he thinks yeah, his dad is innocent. Yeah, he's like, there's no way... He's like, there's no way my dad would harm any of us like that. He just... just and, you know, again, he's his son, but he's also had the opportunity to be alive this whole time, and it's very important to take into consideration what he has to say about it, because he knows more about this than any of us do. Yeah. You know, the people... As Kevin Nash said, there's only two people who know what happened that day, and that's Chris and Nancy, and we mm-hmm. don't got either of them to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Kevin Nash, by the way. One of the real ones. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of the real ones. Uh, so with the actual rotten theory, I I can believe that theory. Yeah, that he, he killed Nancy in rage and then asked, he, you know. Yeah, he, didn't he know what like, to do with himself. Because he didn't Google anything else. He didn't Google how to kill anybody else. He didn't Google anything about Xanax. He didn't Google any of that shit. All yeah. he looked up was, hey, I probably got to kill myself now because i could see him i could see i could see him coming home i think we all can i think anybody listening to this podcast could feel you understand the idea that he could come home see what had happened freak the fuck out at nancy nancy tells him i you know it was a mistake i didn't mean to he freaks out yeah he's had enough i don't know man that feels a lot like how it could have escalated and axel knows what he's talking about if only because he was a lot closer to these people. And he's the only one saying this shit. Yeah. Everyone agrees that Chris didn't do it. He's the only one willing to say, like, yeah, but what if Nancy did? Now, that being said, we also don't want to demonize the dead or talk ill of the dead. So yes. this is all in speculation. And this is all purely Axel's words. These aren't even our words. We actually don't even know about this. This sounds plausible, but none of these are our theories. These yes. are all theories coming from other people. Now, Axel tapped into something there a little bit, I think, in terms of, like, the humanity side. However, we would be extremely remiss in this case if we did not thoroughly discuss the slightly more outrageous side that could be coming. Um, Now, the first one is the guy we've been talking about this whole time. Yes. Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Yes. Now, Vincey, Vinny, Vinny boy, uh, we're going to talk about, I guess we should talk about Tony Snooker real quick. Tony Snooker 
Beat the fuck out of his girlfriend and she died from it. Now you can call that murder. You can call it whatever you want. I'm going to call it murder. That's what he did. He beat the shit out of her. Then he went to go work a show for Vince. He was on the road in, in the 80s and he beat the shit out of her. He came back and she was dead when he got back. And you know who handled that for him? Vincent Kennedy McMahon. He spoke to the police, and he did so in kayfabe. That's that suspension of belief that I talked about earlier. And he uh, covered up Snooka's murder by convincing the police department. I'm not kidding you. Whether it was with money or just his ability to talk, he convinced them that Snooka was a primitive savage and incapable of communicating through English and couldn't talk to the police. And Snooka got off until... Oh, God, a few years ago, they reopened the case, and then he just went up and died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he died pretty much immediately after they reopened the case, which is also probably pretty telling, right? Yeah. Now, Vince McMahon has a history of being a shady motherfucker. When we were talking about, at the beginning, we talked about some of the other stuff. In the Invader X storyline, there's a very decent chance he and his father may have been involved in Brody getting stabbed. If... The Ultimate Warrior was replaced. He absolutely had something to do with it. And there are a lot of other things that have happened. Chris Nowinski, the guy who brought up CTE research in the first place, this is a guy who was treated like shit by Vince. He was yeah. beat up, thrown out. The guy who was supposed to wrestle Chris Benoit that night is CM Punk. CM Punk was unceremoniously shipped uh, his pink slip to be fired the day of his wedding. Yeah, and I mean... This is not a company that doesn't have a problem fucking with people. No, and, and Vince himself, uh, more recently, I believe... I want to say it was just 2020, maybe even 2021, uh, a pretty prominent female wrestler. No one was returning her calls. She was wrestling for WWE. No one was returning her calls. She went to go leave her house one day, and all of her belongings were sitting on her doorstep in a Mickey trash James. bag. You're yeah. talking about Mickey James. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the guy who pulls off a lot of that shit is a guy named Johnny Ace, uh, inventor of the Ace Crusher, otherwise known sometimes as the RKO or the Stone Cold Stunner, unfortunately. Uh, well, it's a crusher. He popularized it in Japan. Uh, Johnny Ace is a piece of shit. He is, uh, he's the Bella's stepfather, mm. which is interesting, but he's been the talent relation guy for WWE since he was a loser. Basically, since he couldn't make it as a wrestler, they just hired him to do that. Yeah. And he's just notoriously been a piece of shit since. He's terrible to women. He's terrible to women. And he's just a gross dude. He's the type of dude who will call you up. They've been firing a lot of people lately uh, just for no reason. They hire a bunch of people so other companies can't have them, don't use them, take years of their life, and then fire them. Yeah. Um, and Johnny is just, he's known as being like the most cold calculate. He'll call you on your in middle of fucking Christmas dinner and say, sorry, budget cuts, you're out. Yeah. Yeah, he's just a piece of shit. So the idea that Johnny might have had something to do with it, or at least like went out of his way to have something to do with it makes a lot of sense. Now, there are a couple things that lead to this. First of all, Vince. Yes. And Vince has completely fucking erased Chris since it happened. Mm -hmm. Like, no other... There are a lot of wrestling fans that are upset about this, and it's for a few reasons. And we want to make a few things crystal clear. Myself, and I'm speaking for some other wrestling fans. Uh, MVP puts it this way. For those of you who don't know, uh, MVP is a fuck fantastic wrestler. And, you know, there's like a, um, I think there's like a, we like to talk about how terrible he was, but we don't talk about Mae Young. We don't talk about all this other really, 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 really terrible shit. I mean, we do on this show. Yeah. Um, any of you who have had the opportunity to watch Dark Side of the Ring, us wrestling fans have known every single one of those stories as long as we've been wrestling fans. Mm -hmm. Every wrestling forum is full of nothing but the gnarliest fuck. Get on Squared Circle or your favorite, mine's on something awful. That's my, yeah. Bloodsport Pagoda is my go-to. But, you know, wherever your forum is, get on there and you're going to see all of these fucking stories. Yes. They've been around for 
ever. And a lot of them are Vince, man. Vince fucks with people. Mm -hmm. We're talking about kayfabe, right? We're talking about playing with people's understanding of reality. Yeah. And I think he gets way too fucking fast and loose with it. Well, with that, so the Monday night... Oh, yeah, the fucking... Yep. I forgot about that. The So he, he was entering into a storyline where he was going to be killed. He got in his uh, limo and it exploded on the Raw before... So Raw's on Monday. That was on the Monday before... SmackDown was on Fridays back then, but they used to shoot it on Tuesdays. That was before the pay-per-view. So then the pay-per-view happens. And then that Monday, they were going to continue this storyline. Vince had just been blown up in his limo. And you know what's great about that is the continuation of that storyline was supposed to be that he was going to return with a jacked hobo army, which fucking rules. But no, he got blown up in his limo. So uh, then the next Raw, you know... <sighs> Chris doesn't show up for this event. So if you're watching the pay-per-view, something weird has already happened. Yeah. But this is the same promoter who, when Owen Hart from the same group of wrestlers was forced to do a dangerous stunt and he fell and died in the ring on a live pay-per-view, they didn't stop the show. I mean, they physically stopped the show to move everything, but they didn't stop the show. They still made wrestlers. Stone Cold still had to go wrestle in the main event. Owen's the guy who broke his neck. Mm -hmm. You know, like there is a callousness inside Vince McMahon that is intangible to a normal ethical human being. He cares more about money and the show than he cares about the people putting on the show. And it's evident because... That Monday night, he gets up there before they even start recording. Not dead. Calls everyone. Uh, this is before they even start televising. Calls everyone to the ring. And he just goes, hey, guys. Um, so someone broke into Chris's house and killed him and his family. We don't need you guys anymore. So you can, like, stick around if you want or you can go home. But we're just going to do a tribute show. And it is worth we can't play it because we're not going to play any of the WWE shit on here. None of it. Because they go after everybody who does any of that. And we're already a tiny show. We don't need to pick yeah. that fight. But Google William Regal's tribute to Chris Benoit. If you want to know how much was known in the back about. Now, Bill was close. Bill was definitely close with Benoit. These guys had run the roads. For those of you who don't know, he's like maybe one of the most. William Regal's the toughest motherfucker in the wrestling game. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's been around forever, and he's had his demons. You know, he never became champion because he liked cocaine too much, and he knows that. Yeah. And so he keeps an eye on younger wrestlers now. And, you know, he his if you watch his tribute, you can tell by how he's talking that he knows something is up. He doesn't know what it is, but you can tell he knew something is wrong because of the way that he's talking about Chris. He's, he refuses to say anything other than all I'll say about Chris is that he was the best there ever was. Yep. And that's all he's willing to say. And the, his tone, everything about how Regal's a very intense guy too. And when he carries himself very quietly and very intently, you know that something severe has happened. Yes. And you could tell behind Bill's body language through his eyes, something had happened and you could tell he knew something else had happened and we say that sure maybe he had information on what had happened but what i think when i say that is he heard that chris was gone and he went oh shit he did it yeah to whoever that might be well this brings up uh brings up the last piece of evidence i want to bring to the vince theory and that is 13 hours before the police found the wikipedia edits mm -hmm, 13 hours before the police found the benoit family's bodies someone edited chris's wikipedia page saying that the reason he missed the pay-per-view fight was because of the murder of his wife, Nancy. Yep. So that started getting pinged around a bunch of different wrestling sites. People were like, what are you talking about? People were making comments about it, being like, Chris murdered his wife. Nancy was murdered. Chris did it. So many people were speculating theories. Well, the police looked into it. 
Police looked into it and found that a 19-year-old man in Stanford, Connecticut, made these posts. There's one other very large building in Stanford, Connecticut. Would you like to tell them what it is? It's the WWE headquarters. Yep, they have owned the city of Stanford, Connecticut as long as they have been there. They're in Stanford because it's a fantastic uh, tax loophole, Connecticut is. And they're there and own that fucking town. The WWE owns Stanford. All of their training... Well, now they have the PC in Florida, too, but for a long time, all of their training facilities and all of their offices are there. That's where Vince is every day. So, with this theory, uh, many people believe that when they realized that Chris had not shown up to four or five different things he was supposed to show up to, they sent someone to his house, found the bodies, reported back, was like, hey, the bodies are, the bodies are here, they're dead... Before they make that call to the police, which came from the WWE headquarters. Yep. Well, at least the same town, right? Yeah. And it would have been. Oh, no, sorry. No, yeah. the, 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 the phone call, the wellness mistake. check. I, yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah. And the wellness check was a really, really interesting wellness check, too, because they. It had been too many days. All of the wrestlers, Chavo specifically agrees that it had been, and so does Vicky Guerrero. Vicky was Eddie's wife, incredible human being, one of the most annoying heels you will ever see. I love Vicky Guerrero so much, such a great human being. But she, she, you know, she was Eddie's other half, and she says the same thing. Yeah, She's, you know, like so. Ahead. So many people believe that they sent someone down there. They found the bodies. They were trying to figure out what to do. And that information got leaked before they called the cops. Yep. And this 19-year-old kid got a hold of that information and started making posts about it. And what's wild is, like, the Stanford Police Department basically didn't look into it at all. No. They didn't. There's a really great uh, book on this that you absolutely should check out. It's called Chris and Nancy, and it really gets into the, the real brass tacks details. I would argue maybe too many details, but yeah. it's a fantastic book. It's very, very thorough. It's really, really well written. Um, but there, I think there's a decent chance that that kid could have... The information's weird because the Wikipedia edits showed up, like, minute one of Sunday, mm -hmm. and the bodies weren't discovered until Monday. Yeah. And that's, or even, or I guess it was Monday, but that's, you know, that's, there's too much to it, I think, and the fact that it's coming from Stanford, like, that kid clearly had a connection to somebody who had real information about what had happened. If those rumors would have been different if it would have been like, oh, he killed his wife. But, you know, it turns out, oh, they were all just in a car accident or something. You yeah. Know, something like that. That's not what happened. He was dead right. Everything he said was dead right. Everything in that Wikipedia article, the, and there were two edits. There was another one. Mm -hmm. uh, that one came from Australia. Yeah, the one from Australia said it changed. And this is pre-VPN, keep in mind. This yeah. is 2007. It changed uh, the murder of Nancy to Chris killed Nancy. Yeah. And that was made in uh, Australia, and it was taken down because the Wikipedia editors were like, you need credible sources. They tried saying that it <laughs> yeah, was being a couple said. Times. Well, yeah, well, that's the interesting thing is, you know, like during the audit, Wikipedia looked into it, and they didn't immediately allow the changes. Well, they, the changes made because that's how it works, but then they took it down, and were like, well, you're going to have to cite a source. You have to prove this. And the kid was like, well, several r wrestling publications were saying this. No, they weren't. And to be clear, there aren't several wrestling. There are now because there's like a million TikToks, YouTubes, and all kinds of stuff to talk about wrestling. But back then, there was, like, Dave Meltzler and PWI, which is Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and, like, a, you know, Bill Apter, the Apter tapes, mm -hmm. a couple people. But we're not talking about a huge journalistic no. empire where this stuff's bouncing around in yeah. discords or whatever. Listen, when that thing happened in Buffalo, we're not going to say what it was, but when it happened in Buffalo, you could find that on the Internet immediately. Mm -hmm. Immediately. This was a different situation. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that theory, I could I, see it. Dude, I don't know exactly why... 
I don't know why Vince necessarily would do it in the sense that I think it would be too bad for business, but Vince works in mysterious fucking ways. Yeah. And I would not be terribly surprised. The thing that gets me the most is the control. The fact that it happened over the course of three days and that at no point, like Vince guys, they're in Georgia. Like it would have been very, very, there's a lot of wrestlers that live in that area. Pretty much all the wrestlers that wrestle for WWE live in Tampa, which is not very far away. It's a quick flight. There are so many people around there that could have checked in on him mm-hmm. um, that aren't wrestlers that aren't like, you know, they're, this company is full of 100,000 employees yeah. and not all of them are wrestlers. And I think it would have been very easy for one of those people to show up, see what was going on, report back to Vince and be like, yo, they're all dead. I don't know what the fuck to tell you. And then, understandably, Vince going into panic mode and being like, well, fuck, okay, well, uh, well, we'll do a we'll do a dedication show. And it should be made clear that the next day after, uh, I hate to say the what had really happened was revealed because we don't really necessarily yeah. feel that's what had happened. But after more nefarious reasonings had made their way into the headlines uh, is when Vince decided that he was no longer going to uh, acknowledge Chris Jericho's existence or Chris Jericho. I mean, I, he also doesn't acknowledge yeah. Jericho's existence anymore, but Benoit's existence. Uh, and he's been erased from everything and they've never done anything. What I think is interesting about it is at no point, <laughs> At no point has WWE done, as far as we can see, maybe internally, an audit about this case. Yes. They were closer to Chris than the cops were. Mm-hmm. Why weren't they more closely involved in what was happening? Why didn't they know better what was happening? You know, And I, I don't think it's unbelievable to think that Vince would have had a scout or two sitting in a car outside of Chris. He was his fucking champ. Yeah. You know, like, well, one of, but he was still one of them. He knew what he was doing. So with my feelings on this theory, I don't think Vince sent someone to kill him. Uh, some people will say that, oh, Vince sent someone to kill him. I think it was a isolated incident of them being killed, but Vince capitalized on it, as Vince does with really any situation. Absolutely. And I think even though Chris was winning championships, was a champion at the time, I don't think Vince liked him. And no, I he think, never did. I think he used it as an opportunity to sweep him under the rug and wipe his hands with him and be like, well, that problem took care of itself. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. I think you're, that latter half is absolutely right. Now, whether or not he had something to do with it, I don't know, man. Vince is a sketchy fucking guy. Yeah. And he, you know, he likes to play this fucking nice old man card or whatever. But Vince is a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. He's a piece of shit. He's been a piece of shit his whole life. He's a piece of shit that he's such a big piece of shit that people like me can see it from this far away. Yeah. That means you're a pretty big piece of shit. I wouldn't put it past him. I'm not entirely certain what motivation he would have for him to be dead. One of the things uh, that is worth pointing out is Sherry Martell died about a week beforehand. For those of you who don't know, sensational Sherry. She was just that. She was fantastic. She was uh, a wrestler, but she was best known as a a really cool manager. She's like this wild swamp witch. And she was with, uh, she was with Macho before Elizabeth and after. Um, She's just really great. But she died a week previous to a drug overdose. And that was a drug overdose that was a drug interaction overdose. Mm -hmm. Not dissimilar from what could have happened to Daniel. Yep. Uh, No one was checking on her and uh, she just collapsed in her mother's house. And no one talked about it. Yep. And we never heard another word about it. And ironically, you know, there was all of the media around this when it came up was terrible because nobody fucking understands wrestling and they don't want to take the time to get to know it. Yeah. That's why we wanted to talk about this. But I want to make sure we talk about it correctly because yeah. I'm not going to be fucking Geraldo Rivera. Yeah. My life is wrestling. I love it. I've spent so much time around it. I want to make sure we do Chris right. Yeah. And, you know, Geraldo 
was very quick to say that he thought that those two murders were in some way tied, which, you know, sounds really silly, but, but, but if Vince was cleaning shit up, Sherry definitely had dirt on him. So I will only say that the Geraldo part does fit if Vince was interested in killing people are like, well, she died in Alabama. Guys, that's the state next door. Yeah. It's not even a day's drive between yeah. the two towns. It's not uh, entirely that's unbelievable. Florida, Georgia, Alabama. You're like, yeah. they're all right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he's in Fayetteville. Benoit is in Fayetteville, Georgia. Yep. And she's in Alabama, like right here. That's not far. No. That's not. It's only like three inches. You guys can see it from here. Well, I was told that's about nine that's, inches. Yeah, yeah, about nine inches yeah. right there. But yeah, so <laughs> did Vince have something to do with it? I don't know. But Vince has his hands so deep in things that I wouldn't be surprised. We're never going to get a Vince autobiography. So I can't wait until he kicks the bucket and we finally get a Vince biography because we're going to get a number of them. But he's had a weird fucking life. And there are so many. Guys, you got to remember, like, Drug dealers aren't working in kayfabe every day. These are people who are not just like trained liars, but trained liars on a totally different level. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, we're coming out of a time period where wrestling was still real. Yeah. So Vince's ability to play with reality like fucking Thanos isn't all that unrealistic. And this brings us to our last and final theory that we both (laughs) firmly believe in. And seemingly he does as well. Yes. Kevin Sullivan either killed the family or had the family killed. I firmly believe this shit. I firmly believe it. Kevin Sullivan's a fucking psychopath. And as I said earlier, I don't like him very much. He's historically been... Okay, so in the wrestling world, there's always going to be a booker man. The booker man is the guy who books the matches. Mm -hmm. Now, booker man... In a lot of wrestling companies, ends up being a wrestler, and that can be fucking dangerous. Yeah, for the really obvious reasons. You don't like someone, you're not going to book them, or you're going to put them in a dangerous match where maybe you put them with somebody and you tell Rick Steiner to tune him up because he said something shitty about you, like he was known to do. He would tell other wrestlers who were going to have matches, dirt, made up bullshit, fake fucking lies. Like Perry, poor Perry Saturn got tuned up by Rick Steiner because he sent him out there, and this is one of, I mean, he's. He's the fourth amigo. He's one of, you know, Chris's close, dear friends. He would send Perry out there. He sent him out there to get his ass whooped by Rick Steiner, who was a real collegiate wrestler who could whoop ass if he wanted to. And he did it because as he was going out there, he lied to Rick and said they did something shitty to him. Yeah. So Rick had a personal vendetta when he got out there and he whooped his fucking ass. There are so many interviews uh, with wrestlers that are like, Kevin Sullivan is a fucking liar. He ruined my career when he became Booker. Like, he didn't like me personally. So Dude, Hornswoggle hates him. Mm-hmm. Swoggle. For those of you who don't know, Hornswoggle is a dwarf. He's fantastic. I'm not laughing because he's a dwarf. He's just cool. He makes me laugh when I think about him. He's a funny guy. He does a good job. Shout out, Hornswoggle. Uh, he also kayfabe played Vince McMahon's illegitimate son once, which is really funny, all things considered, which was leading up to the... that's that. I, I believe he was still Swoggle. If you watch this, feel free to correct me. But I believe he was still Vince's son when he blew up in the limo. Because that was like the storyline before it. Mm-hmm. And then he eventually went on to basically be Fit Finley's like... Um, well, Fit Finley's Irish, and I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> I don't think I should say the yeah. rest of that's pretty offensive. Yeah. He was his leprechaun. That's what he was. But yeah, like everybody... Basically, it's an equal proportion that people... It's like directly, or I guess it's inversely proportional, the people who liked Benoit that didn't like Kevin Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Every person who's like, yeah, Benoit was intense, but he's a nice guy, man. He was a good dude. Like Malenko. Malenko, you know, Dean Dean is like, 
he's one of the professors, not just of the moves, but of the business yeah. and the guys. And he said, and he said repeatedly that up until the last day, he would have left Chris with his kids. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, man. And this is a guy who would run the roads with him. He'd, yeah. He's one of the three amigos. He doesn't know. You know, he's not Eddie, so he's still around. Mm-hmm. And he's watching what's happening. And I don't know, man. I Kevin Sullivan had a lot of reason. Now, the first reason, obviously, is that Nancy was formerly Nancy Sullivan. Yep. Yeah. And Nancy. Now, Nancy had married a few people, and that's how wrestling is. Don't get me wrong. Um, but... Given the way that it happened and given the intensity that Chris has, I could definitely feel like Kevin's a very charismatic guy and he really likes having control. That's why he likes being Booker Man. That's why he's usually in charge of like the wrestling territory that he's at or whatever. And he's not a very good wrestler, so he's not going to be the, pardon me, he's not going to be the guy on top through merit. Yeah. He's going to be the guy on top through politicking. And this He's a very politic and type. He's a good friend of Hogan's, you know, Hulk Hogan, who we now know is just the great, greatest dude. I'm so glad I am the age that I am because when I got into wrestling, Hulk was already Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. So I never liked Hulk Hogan. I always thought he was a piece of shit. And it's cool because it was like, well, thank you. Thank, thank you, WCW, for sharing or saving me that trouble. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so I, the number of people who hate Kevin Sullivan is high. And it's because Kevin has fucked over pretty much everybody he gets the opportunity to fuck over. Kevin, in shoot interviews, has also been pretty fucking candid about the fact that he is entirely comfortable with people thinking he killed Chris, Nancy, and Daniel. He's okay with the idea. Now, Chris, I can understand. That's a, I understand what I just said, and that's fucking wild. But a man being proud of not killing another man or whatever... Okay, that's toxic, but I could see it. Yeah. But a fucking seven-year-old kid, you're okay with people thinking you killed a seven-year-old kid? The best defense you have is like, well, people are going to talk. Buddy, he was seven. You yeah. sure that's all you got when they say you killed a seven-year-old kid? All your defense is, is believe what you want. Buddy, you're not telling me you didn't do that. There, There's an interview uh, with him where he was like, yeah, people all the time believe that I killed him. And they say the reason I killed him is because I turned to Satanism. And all I want to say to them is I'm an avid churchgoer. And it's like... Huh? You really sure that's what you want your defense to be? Especially because what was found right next to all of the bodies? Bibles. With Bible passages written down. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure you want to be this. He likes to play with kayfabe a lot. He likes to play with being a cult leader a lot because he's not very charismatic. He's old, he's fat, and he's ugly. So he doesn't really, you know, he, and I don't say any of that stuff to insult him. It will insult him, but I don't say it. I say it to characterize him. Yeah. It gives you an idea of how defensive he is. You want to see something sad? Watch his shoot interviews. It's hilarious. You watch like, Nash in one of his shoot interviews and it's Kevin Nash being like big sexy you know he's like cool and he's funny and he tells funny stories and shit the shoot interviews with Kevin Sullivan are the saddest thing because he's like this old man who's still got his stupid ring makeup on and he's got a stupid like crappy costume robe on he's got his costume robe on over like a we the people t-shirt I know he's like he's Kevin Sullivan has a long record of being a piece of shit. And Kevin Sullivan had all the reason in the world to ruin uh, not only Chris's life, but also Nancy's life. Um, And this feels a lot like that. It really does. The fact that the child was killed by smothering isn't indicative of a coward killing him. Yeah. Being afraid of doing what you're doing. That's a thing that someone does to a loved one. It would make sense that if he broke in and killed somebody, namely Nancy, choked to death, which she didn't see coming... He did something. I I don't think it's unbelievable that if Chris came home to his wife and child being dead, that he wouldn't call the cops. Yeah. They would just say, fuck it, my life's over. It doesn't matter if the cops show up. I don't have a life anymore. Yeah. And that's mean to his other daughter and to David. I know, I know. But 
that's his youngest son. And when you walk into a room like that, that's going to hit you heavy. Mm-hmm. That's going to hit you real heavy. I mean, I'm sure David has felt that way before. And yeah. I want to make it abundantly clear. We both do. We have nothing but love for David. Yeah. Man, what a fucked up, terrible hand he's been dealt. Huh? Yeah. Poor kid just trying to make it. But he's doing good now. He's He shows up at wrestling events and mm-hmm. stuff. It's nice to see him. Anyway, yeah. I mean, Sullivan had a lot of motivation to do it. And it would make sense if Vince, Vince and Sullivan were close. Yeah. And it would make sense that Vince might have tabs on Kevin. And he might know what happened when he said somebody broke in. And listen, this is an entirely made up timeline in my mind, but I could easily have seen this happen. The murders happen and Vince finds out because he sends a person there and he finds out that maybe Kevin was involved um, or maybe he finds out from Kevin and then learns that Kevin was involved or maybe he never learned at all and learned from Kevin because we still don't know how he found out. They aren't the WWE has not been clear about when they receive or when they were aware of the text messages that were sent to Chavo and to Scott Armstrong. Um, They say that they got them the they knew about them the day the bodies were found, but that doesn't make any sense. They should have known about them sooner than that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that feels a lot like a lie. And it feels like a lie to avoid the fact that they actually knew much sooner and did something about it because the follow up question is, did you know about this? And if you say yes, they go, okay, well, what did you do about it? And if they go, oh, oh, um, well, no, we didn't know. We didn't know. Because yeah. if we do know, we have to be accountable. Yeah. So it does track that this could have all been a ploy by Kevin Sullivan. Now, it may not have been Kevin who did the bidding. Now, three days of this is a little intense. That doesn't... The thing I honestly struggle the most with is the three days of Chris allegedly killing his family and like living in that house with his family. You know, I, the fact that when the only time he was heard from, he sounded different. Now, Chris is a strong man in every sense of the word. I don't know how many of those guys would have seen different as vulnerable or coerced. Yeah. There's, I, him being quiet and weird and saying, I love you, Chavo would that to me sounds a lot like somebody at the other end of that phone had a gun to his head. Mm-hmm. That sounds a lot like, hey, man, something bad's happening, and I can't tell you because if I do, they're going to shoot me in the head. Yep. But just know that I loved you more. You know, that that's something that somebody says when they're taken hostage. That's yeah. something that they say when they're worried about what's going to happen. I don't, for any for even a moment, believe that Kevin Sullivan didn't have the manpower or the vitriol or the uh, evil just pure shithead nature in him to do something like this. And on top of that, even if it wasn't just to hurt Chris, it could have been to get back at Vince to do all of this to somebody who had just been world champ fighting for the ECW championship, doing all this headliner, huge, huge, important wrestler has an opportunity to really ruin something for Vince. Mm -hmm. Vince has this new storyline going. He has all this new shit. He's doing this new stuff. What a great time to embarrass Vince. And if he had been the person who got a hold of Vince and was like, hey man, I need to talk to you. Somebody, somebody killed Benoit. And he, that allowed him to know it would be very easy for him to be like the next day, be like, we got it. We got a call. And then him call Vince and tell him the story. We all know about what allegedly happened. The story that he fabricated the day that he did it. And people bring up like, well, if if Vince knew, why would he do a three hour tribute special to him just to turn around and pull the next day? Save face. That's to save face. Yeah, that's the same reason that they wouldn't tell you that they had the text messages the day they had them, yep. because to not do something about it or to do something outside the confines of the law is something that would not only be frowned upon but would probably get you involved in a legal action and. 
this is WWE. You don't think they don't have a fucking army of lawyers that are yeah. like, hey, Vince, here's the way to handle this. And hey, here's the way to handle that. If you don't think they won't make the right move every time, I think you're sort of missing missing the point. So, yeah, man, I don't know. I think there's been a lot of devious shit. I could see that Sullivan might have done it to fuck over WWE. You know, the, you, it is important to remember that he was the booker man when the radicals, when um, Benoit, Saturn, all of those guys, when the four guys all got up and left and they went to, they left WCW because they felt like they weren't being used and they weren't going to be used. And Perry's funny about it because in uh, a shoot interview that, that he did with Feinstein, uh, there's a, you know, there's like a, <laughs> it's fun to play him back to back, which we did. Yeah. So there's Sullivan talking about what happened with the radicals and how it didn't work out and how he's going to put the title on Benoit. And all of it was just, it was Benoit's doing and they decided they didn't want to be a part of being famous. And then Perry's like, he's a lying piece of shit. He would come and change finishes while we were on the way to the ring. He's a complete piece of shit. And he's like, there was a time when Eric and him were both booking WCW and we were the tag team champions. And he would tell us we were going to go out there and do the job. That means lose. They would have to call Eric and be like, Eric, is this what you want? And he'd be like, no. And they'd have to switch that back. Kevin Sullivan doesn't have an ounce of honesty in his body. And if he does, it is so thoroughly deluded by lying bullshit that no matter what he has to say, I don't believe him. Except when he says, I'm fine with the fact that you think I'm the guy who killed a seven-year-old child. Yeah. If you are comfortable with people thinking that you killed a seven-year-old child, Kevin, something tells me that you're okay with them talking about it, which means that you're okay with them sweeping it under the rug. That's what it feels like to me. So my final conclusion on all of this is that Chris Benoit is the greatest wrestler uh, of his time period and one of the greatest to ever live. He shouldn't be in the WWE Hall of Fame because the WWE Hall of Fame is a fucking joke and it doesn't matter. He should be in the WON Hall of Fame, though. Get on that shit, guys. Come on, give it to him, Brian. Um, that being said, Brian Alvarez is who I'm, I'm talking to directly. Um, there... <sighs> He will forever be remembered unfairly as a person who did one thing that he very likely did not do, that no one who loved him thinks he does, that no one in his family thinks he does, that nobody... There's not a single person on this planet who seems to think he did it other than the people who want to say he did it. Yep. The people who have something to gain from Chris having done this are the people who are adamant that he did it. And the people who loved Chris and knew him as a human being are the ones to say, hey, we should take some more time and think about this. Yep. Um, so I just I don't like the idea that Chris will always be remembered uh, solely as a murderer. Uh, a, because he's one of the sickest theme songs of all time. I might actually end the podcast with that because it's that's that's open. That's free music. You can't yeah. take that from me. And it's the sickest song in the world. Um, uh, but yeah, man, the Canadian Crippler, he meant a lot to me when I was a kid and rabid Wolverine or not, you know, he was a hell of a talent. You can't fucking ignore that stuff. You don't get to hide it. You don't, you don't get to pick and choose the way that they pick and choose. You don't get to say, well, that should be censored and this shouldn't be censored. Chris was a great man. And what happened was unfortunate, whether he did it or not, he shouldn't be erased from history. Mm. You should be brave enough to be honest about what happened and we should be open about having these conversations and how to care for each other when these things do happen. Yeah. I think the way that he's been abandoned by the WWE and the people around him and how his son has been abandoned. It's very important to point out that no one helped David. Chavo helped David. Yeah. Chavo and Chris Jericho. Yeah. Those were the two people. Chris Jericho is such an easy dude to shit on because he's like a drunk party boy. But like he does so many nice fucking things for people. Yeah. Yeah, I like Jericho just fine. So yeah, man, I just, you know, he's calling himself the wizard now. That's awesome. Yeah, he's throwing fireballs now. That <laughs> he's consistently the coolest, you know, like, he's so good at reinventing himself. Yeah. Yeah, well, that being said, please, by all means, do remember Chris Chris Benoit. I mean, 
enjoy Chris Jericho, but remember that Chris Benoit was a hell of a wrestler, an incredible dad, whether anybody wants to say otherwise or not. You can think whatever you think, and you can listen to whatever news reporter, but his son and daughter both say that he was a fantastic fucking father, and they're the people I listen to because they're the actual experts. Um, so that being said, uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this one. This was obviously kind of a, a heavier topic, but one that's very close to our, our hearts, near yeah. and dear. Uh, we... We got nothing but love, honestly, uh, for everybody involved, except, again, for Kevin Sullivan. Fuck you, Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, normally on YouTube you do the thing where you're like, don't send any hate. Send all the hate you want in the world to Kevin Sullivan. Swat him. He's a piece of shit. I don't care. <laughs> he really is, man. He's a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah, I, and you don't have to do that because life is already really caught up to Kevin. You know, like, you live the life that you lead. And, oh, 100%. you know, he's a piece of shit. He lives a piece of shit life. He gets what, what he deserves. But, unfortunately, Chris and Daniel and uh, Nancy did not get what they deserved. And uh, it's an unfortunate event, obviously, that continues to exist. Um, may they rest in peace, obviously. Uh, but the only thing I think I could urge people at the end of this is try to get the whole story, man. This is not dissimilar from when we talked about the Rust story. Everybody yeah. was so quick immediately to say, Hannah's a fucking idiot. It was all her fault. And then it took us a couple of days, a week realistically, to show to everybody that she was in no way at fault, it wasn't her fault, and that the media is just really quick to say that shit. Dude, yeah. I went to journalism school. I have a degree. I know how the media works. I'm not, you know me, I'm not the mainstream media kind of guy, but they do get a lot of shit wrong, and in the 24-hour news cycle, they push a lot of stuff too fast. You you try to do your stories too quick. You got too quick of deadlines. You're not going to get the whole story, and when you tell half a story, you're, you're effectively telling half a lie. Yeah. So, that being said, we wanted to tell the whole story of Chris, at least as it's been made clear to us we don't think he did it i honestly think axel's theory sounds at least in the ballpark of the most plausible if he did do it and yeah. that's that something happened that hurt david and that caused him to go into some sort of a i just don't i along with every other fucking human being on the planet do not believe that he could have killed that seven-year-old boy and not lots of people kill kids man lots of people kill kids and i believe that Chris loved his son so much. It's the only reason he did what he did. You know, yeah. he loved him. And I just really have a hard time believing. And his brother says that he has a hard time believing that that could have happened. Yeah. That's his brother. That's his brother. And he's had a long time to digest this information. Yeah. So that being said, hopefully this illuminated a slightly different uh, angle on the Chris Jericho why do I keep saying that? I'm so sorry, Jericho. On the Chris Benoit murder, alleged murder-suicide, hopefully this was an opportunity to talk about it a little bit more. And to the person who requested it, hopefully you enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, hopefully if you know nothing about wrestling, this opened up your eyes to the world of wrestling a little bit. Yeah, be aware that uh, there's a really great show um, called Dark Side of the Ring that does a very good job of telling some of these stories. Um, I do think they leave some things out, but again, some of these stories are so complex, and like as a wrestling fan, we talk about this stuff for 20 years, so of course we have all these little... There's going to be yeah. a bunch of stuff that gets left out of this, too. There's only so much time that we can hold your attention while we talk about mm -hmm. this stuff, to be perfectly honest. So, yeah, hopefully you did learn a little bit about the wrestling business. Know that the wrestling business has gotten better and that there are good promoters out there. Know that Vince McMahon remains being a complete piece of shit. Know that Brett Lauderdale from GCW is a fantastic person. Tony Khan from AEW seems to be like a really good person. The new guy, I can't remember his name, but they got a new, they had a Dutch guy in charge of New Japan and now he's out already, but they got a new guy in charge and he seems like he's got his head on pretty straight. So there's a lot of really good wrestling. <laughs> when you get down to Mexico, CML and AAA, well, they're just worth watching for the cluster. <laughs> um, you will never, here's what I will say. Go, if you're a wrestling fan and you haven't been to a true Lucha event, go to a true Lucha event. If you have never been to a true deathmatch event, go to a true deathmatch event. Both of those two things really shed a weird light on wrestling. Lucha's my, you will never find a more adversarial crowd than at a Lucha show. Every single one of them, 
they chant slurs. It's like going to a soccer game, except yeah. it's people are actually here to fight. So yeah. it's really funny to watch. It's I like going it. to the best part of a hockey game. <laughs> it is. It is. It's <laughs> nothing but the fights at a hockey game. The chants are just incredible. You know. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite Mexican chants is just "culero." And you just chant that over and over. <laughs> Calling somebody an asshole that slow feels real good. Also, "culero" much better insult than asshole. Mm-hmm. It's a lot funnier. Okay. Well. Yeah, hopefully you learned a little bit about wrestling. Hopefully you learned a little bit about the business. And hopefully you know now that things have gotten a lot better and that Chris isn't necessarily the uh, the villain, I think, that he's been made out to be. Because even nowadays, we have a much better approach to mental health. Yes. I think people understand now what could have happened um, doesn't necessarily dehumanize him or make him a villain, even if it was a, a CTE freakout. And it was, you know, this incredibly, incredibly, incredibly rare case where for three days he had sustained CTE rage or whatever understand that that wasn't that wasn't his decision he wasn't i i think whatever happened to chris nancy and daniel whether chris did it whether kevin did it whether vince did it whether somebody else did it i don't think um i don't think it worked i don't whatever the benefit was supposed to be i don't think that was it so that was uh that's a fun talk obviously we love to talk about wrestling the podcasts go a little bit longer when we talk about wrestling because Well, we'd have a wrestling show, but there are just so many of them now that it's not even worth it. So I'm just going to stick to going to the shows. If you guys are wrestling fans, um, we will be at Forbidden Door in Chicago in June. If you want to see us, we'll be in the 10th row. We'll be the guys with the brightly colored hair. Yep. Feel free to come talk to us. We are huge wrestling fans, and I will talk to you about anything. I promise. That being said, I'm going to stop eating up this microphone and let Caleb have his riddle time. Caleb, hit him with a riddle. Last week's riddle was, I have branches and I'm full of green, but no fruit, trunk, or leaves. What am I? Uh, It's a bank. Oh, shit. I didn't get that one at all. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like another plant or maybe an animal. Nope. It is a bank. An American bank. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're the only country that has green leaves. Yeah. If it was a Canadian bank, I'd be like, I have branches and I'm full of like orange and purple and shit. (laughs) This is a really like privileged complaint, but Mm -hmm. I've had the opportunity to live all around the world. We got to get some sort of consistency on the size of currency i lived in hong kong forever guys and like chinese dollars are huge <laughs> they're too big for your wallet you got to fold them over then fold them over again and they're like the currency is eight to one so you need a lot more on you <laughs> it's such a pain in the ass alternately you go to vietnam and the dongs are very little but the money's even bigger <laughs> no the dong is very little it's like this big so you lose them which is kind of funny because they don't have that much value either so you'll like lose 10 dong and be like well, that's, that's just gone now. <laughs> that's why they have such little value there. It's so inflated because they just keep making it. Yeah, keep, They're like, fuck, they losing we it. just printed more money. Where did it go? It's like the currency in Bespin, I bet, is very, very inflated because it's constantly getting blown off the city. Uh, this week's riddle is what belongs to you, but it seems everyone else is the one to use it. Oh, my bathroom. I think you mean my bathroom, right? Is that what this is about? Yeah. The answer is bathroom. <laughs> Everyone have a good week. Roll credits. All right. We love you guys very much. Let us know what you think the answer to the riddle is down in the comments. Or, as always, Caleb's mom, feel free to just text him. That's the easiest way to get to him. Maybe I'll, I'm going to put your number up here so everybody who makes it to the end of this one podcast can text you. Yeah, guys. If you have the uh, answer to the podcast, just text me. My number is... <laughs> but with that said, we hope you like this Chris Jericho episode. Holy shit. Why do I keep doing it? I feel bad for him. You think he's going to kill his family? Chris Irvine, are you going to freak out and kill your whole family? He's going to show up dead tomorrow, and everyone's going to blame you. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be my fault. Hey, guys, it welcome. Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan did it. Next week, I'm going to be like, hey, guys, welcome back to the Cat Spirit Hour. I'm here alone. Dad's in jail because everyone <laughs> believes he killed Chris Jericho. Because <laughs> everybody knows he killed Chris Jericho. Uh, okay, well, anyway, like Chris Benoit. Uh, yeah.
Thank you guys so much. Thanks for joining us. Let us know what you think happened to Benoit, even if you just think he did what he did. If you think he did it, feel free to let us hear all about it. It wouldn't be any different from any other show we have. We love you guys very much, and we'll see you next week. Also, uh, we're on TikTok. Our little new show has moved to TikTok. So if you enjoyed that and you've been watching it here, go watch it on TikTok. We love you guys. See you later. Bye.